Gentlemen, gentlemen, welcome back to... What did you call this earlier in your message, John? Um, let me read it, actually. This is a good way for us to start, I think, just so our listeners can get a flavour of what it's like to deal with you. Um, <laughs> greetings, budlings. What's our ETA for podland? So, uh, <laughs> uh, so I guess we're in podland. We're live in podland yep. um, with the budlings, so... Welcome along. Thank you for joining us. Today, we are going to be looking at three big reasons to be climate positive. And this is something, John, that you have been wanting to do very passionately from the start of the podcast last year, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, it's it's huge. This is the biggie, you know, saving the planet. And it's it's so big that... It almost turns people off sometimes, I think, because it can appear sort of too vast to be influential. But I know that millions of people doing a little bit is, you know, more effective than a very few people doing an awful lot. So it's a question of sort of being able to get that message over. Let's just fine tune things. We don't we know we don't need to take on the, the, the massive amount of guilt and shame and worry and anxiety that we might sort of like be in the habit of when we hear bad news. Let's just sort of flip it all on its head, try and do some uh, positive stuff and feel a bit better mm. about it all. Yeah, so this is very much about having a PMA, isn't it? Definitely. Which stands for? Positive mental attitude. And I think sort of like if you could just say finding a way where we can live harmoniously and happily with nature rather than struggling against it. So PMA then, a positive mental attitude towards this. Uh, tell us someone or something that's inspired you before, John, in that kind of approach. Well, I guess uh, other than, of course, you know, the great man himself, David Attenborough, who uh, has had a huge influence on, on my way of thinking for years and years and years. Bringing That's it, Sir David Attenborough to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, I, I beg his pardon. Uh, the knight. Yes, <laughs> as he should have been years ago. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, I used to uh, sort of, try to do a lot of what you might call practical conservation work and this this sort of like help fix that right i've got to give something back i've got to contribute i've got to do something positive and uh and obviously i still try and do that but it it did start to occur to me that things on a slightly global scale were much more difficult to address and then i sort of uh, linked up with uh, friends of the earth more started to learn i mean we're going back quite a long time now to the, the days of Jonathan Porritt and such like. Uh, and it was 
in a funny sort of way, the start of what you might call the green movement. And it was the start of moving the green movement into what you might call politics with a small p because it was about structuring change uh now as part of that i became involved with a local friends of the earth group and i can remember by being massively inspired by a wonderful couple called marge and eric who you know were they they were sort of old age pensioners and they used to come along on the bus and they used to come in and i used to sometimes think to myself oh what it's so sad that sort of a couple of old people living in their dotage should be having to worry about this, that and the other. But I rapidly came to realise that it actually flipped the whole psychology of this sort of shame or guilt or hopelessness on its head. And they actually use their participation uh, in the local Friends of the Earth group in a really positive way. Uh, almost social manner it became their their sort of project and they loved coming along to the meetings they loved working out some strategies we did an awful lot of sort of things like fundraising litter picks we did some conservation projects but also we did some uh some writing to politicians and uh local councils and things like that just to try and orient change and they would come back enthusiastically sort of like you know week after week and say oh we've had a response from so and so and it's been it's really quite good they're they're kind of on our side and they arrange film meetings and this sort of thing and i thought they are never bleak about this and what it really made me realize is that people like them the positive mental attitude people are much more likely to influence other people than what you might call the more radical hot-headed guys who might be you know stamping their feet and shouting and uh, bawling you out for every minor sin that they think you've done and they just make you feel bad and you tend to edge away from it so that I would say was a, a big influence on the way I approached the whole subject. Mm. And good old Marge and Eric have obviously had an influence, you know, which has stuck with you through the years and for mm. whatever you've done as well. So it's kind of compounded. And here we are all these years later talking about them. So yep. go on, you Marge never and know. Eric. Oh, yeah. yeah. Be more, be more Marge and Eric. Um, yes. You could just stop the pod there. This point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the point is you, you never know what your kind of uh, or how far your influence or impact is going to go do you and you mm. wrote something as you were as we were sort of chatting about this john saying about the whole philosophy of father nature and getting close to nature and recognizing our responsibilities and obligations towards this sustainable lifestyle but to mm. also enjoy the process and Definitely. to try and live harmoniously and happily as well and that's what mm. we're going to try and achieve throughout this pod and and future yeah. ones as well mm. i'm sure rob is here as well as you've just heard um, hello yeah, yeah i didn't want to interrupt yeah. father's uh, words In of wisdom there and yeah hearing about marge and eric but i did have one question but i didn't want to interrupt is pma uh, an acronym that you have coined john or is it widely recognized no it's it's quite widely recognized and it, it's quite as, as you know i like my bushcraft and survival practice and things like that and um 
positive mental attitude is something which is always quoted as being the most important thing in what you might call a survival situation. So you'll you'll hear the likes of Bear Grylls often talking about it. Uh, When you hear about um, expeditions and things that might have hit hard times, uh, Ray Mears has talked about it a lot as well. You'll hear them say, you know, it was keeping the positive mental attitude that kept kept those people going and helped them survive. Let's go on to the first of our three big reasons to stay positive then. Planet positive, climate positive, whatever you want to call it. Number one is collective small changes, John. That will have a huge impact. Talk to us about this. Okay, so the first, I suppose, fairly obvious one, because it's been hitting the news quite a lot sort of over the last couple of years has been single-use plastic. Now, you know, plastics are incredible things and, you know, the positive side is it is an incredible material that does incredible jobs. The trouble is what we did was made it so cheap that people could afford to just bung it away very quickly. And being an incredible uh, thing, it doesn't break down. And because we've got, you know, a rather grotty waste disposal stroke recycling system uh we've had over the years it tends to be exported even to be recycled and then there's a you know various shenanigans that can go on which means plastics enter the ocean so there's been a lot of work on this in recent years which is brilliant and adds to the uh solution uh but the crux of the matter is we've just had to reduce it and now uh i mean many Well, how many years ago was it? Not that many years ago. uh, Plastic carrier bags were free when you did your shopping. So every time you went shopping, you might end up with an extra half dozen or more plastic bags. And then you think, oh, you've got too many, so you bung them in the bin. Well, A, that's a farce. And uh, B, it's a complete waste of a resource. So thankfully, free... uh, um, carrier bags have now been sort of like you know that now a thing of the past you buy your bag for life etc and uh so that's one thing that i think public pressure has helped create uh also the single-use plastics on quite a few products uh are now recyclable uh in store which has been good uh, I've been starting to use that quite recently. And, of course, hopefully people are starting to use their sort of string bags and things that uh, I've been using myself, which was part of our New Year's resolution. Rob, if I said to you that I was going to give you £10 million, how would you feel? I'd be over the moon with that. You would. I mean, you'd be shocked. You'd be over I'd the be moon. Very, you well, know, yeah. Nothing to if, you, if, but, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If I told you that everyone in the world was going to give you one pence, how would you feel, do you think? I would think that's a lot of copper to be dealing with. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Multi-use copper, yeah. Um, But the point is, if everyone gave you one pence in the world, Mm -hmm. currently speaking, you would have £80 million as opposed to if one person gave you £10 million. Now, what does this very weird metaphor kind of 
explain or show us that if everyone does something very small, i.e. give one pence, you can create something mm. huge. And and that's what we're trying to say here, isn't it? That it's not necessarily mm. about that one martyr who has to give up everything. And and it it's more about a joint effort. Yeah. If everyone reduces certain things, we can create a much bigger overall impact on this problem. Yes. Mm. Is that a good way of demonstrating it, John? Or have I have I made? No, I think it's a really good way because it's. Okay. Um, I haven't it, mixed my metaphors because I'd hate to do that in public. No, no, it's it's, <laughs> it's absolutely what it is. If 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 it becomes a norm to do certain positive things that aid the environment, the countryside, uh, you know, or its inhabitants, um, then the more people doing it obviously the bigger the effect uh mm. so it, it's you know it does stand to reason i mean it's it, it cannot be left to just a few individuals if there's the the mass creating a sort of a, a movement almost a habit then you will find that the superpowers will need to cater for that you know it, at the end of the day it's a bit like the old battery hen uh, egg situation well battery eggs wouldn't exist if people didn't buy them and of course now uh so many people buy free range eggs that you know free range eggs are are well supplied and you know certainly they look like they're the majority uh when i go to my local supermarket um and uh so that that's direct consumer influenced sort of stuff so you know everything you buy uh contributes in some way to a trend yeah and i think as well rob it kind of incorporates and john feel free to come in on this as well but it's almost like beyond these small things that you can do and that we're going to talk about in a minute actually it's almost just getting a slightly different mindset in terms of thinking about almost subconsciously thinking about some of the decisions that you're going to make and thinking you know is there just a better alternative which will still suit me fine whether that's with what you're going to buy eat or how you treat your waste uh, travel etc it's almost like just a different state of mind i think that you can train yourself to get into would you say that's fair rob is it something that you've realized in your life yeah, no, definitely. So I think we've mentioned in the past that there's no one silver bullet that can kind of save everything or that will make the entire difference. And it's kind of minor adjustments and um, behavioural changes here and there that's going to make a big difference. And you've obviously just demonstrated that with the kind of monetary metaphor. Um, but I think it's the same with your habits as well. Like you don't have to completely overturn a single habit or all of your habits. It's just changes here and there, which again, collectively make a big difference. And I think as part over the last few weeks, I've noticed people doing that and talking about it more as well, which I think is, which kind of makes you think about, well, what could I do that, you know, that you know, if, if you see someone else doing it and not setting, setting an example, but 
clearly being conscious about the way they're acting, it does make you think about what you're doing. And one of the small changes I've made recently, and almost subconsciously, really, um, is actually, so at the the windowsill in my kitchen, I have the avocado plant that John gave us way back when. Um, And to remind me to keep watering it, um, because it needed water every day, I think, when we got it in the summer, I just kept my small watering can next to it. And now, because that's by the sink and in view, if ever I need to like throw some water away or don't, like, I feel like the water that I'm drinking doesn't taste so great, I just put it in the watering can now. I don't throw it down the sink. And it's like little things like that, which actually I do think makes a big difference because, you know, I think and we'll come on to the benefits of, you know, saving water. And obviously that's your one of your goals for the year. And so... Um, mm. I think it's, yeah, it's small adjustments here and there and, you know, make a big difference. And like you say, I feel better about myself, (laughs) even just from filling that watering can up. And it is, I think, just to go back to Margin Eric, it's like the more you do good, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because it makes you feel good and it makes you want to kind of apply it to different areas in your life. Mm. That's one of the huge points, I think, because... It is, I mean, even some of the, what you might call celebrity sort of conservationists and, uh, you know, guys on the TV, they, uh, quite a few of them have had some quite serious mental health issues, which I th- I'm sure the pressure of uh, trying to um, sort of come to terms with uh, perhaps uh, the, their, the cost that they have to the planet uh, or their perceived costs to the planet, I think the pressure really does weigh heavily on them. Whereas, as you're saying, Rob, if you can turn things around for yourself and you can lift your own spirits that way, feel good about what you're doing, um, that makes you feel better. And I also sort of really value the point about actually sharing it and because uh, you're sharing something in a positive way that actually is much more likely to tempt other people rather than trying to dish out a little bit of a guilt trip. I mean, you know, if, if you were uh, cycling to work and somebody was on a very similar journey and you just sort of giving them a rollicking saying, oh, well, I don't know why you drive all the time. You're bloody polluting the place, this, that and the other. If you got a better attitude saying, well, do you know what? I've been, I've been, you know, cycling it for the last three months. It saved me 58 quid in petrol and I'm feeling quite, you know, fit now. You know, come along with us sort of thing. They're so much more likely to at least give it a go. Mm, Yeah. Right, on that theme then, I think, gents, let's go round us and uh, very quickly give a few examples and hopefully that can inspire a few people. So, Robert, if you have it to hand actually uh would you be able to share what one of your colleagues sent to us on our instagram do you have that i do yeah so um, so start with that yeah sure so kieron from yeah is a colleague and good friend of mine he got in touch with us over instagram and shared an article um from an account i think called get waste ed which i think is get waste educated it's how i'm taking it anyway. Not get wasted <laughs> yeah. um but it's an awesome piece of news and it's basically it's it's um an area that we've obviously we've spoken about in some depth in the past so brighton council have just announced that for every new build that goes up that is higher than four floors it will be now in law that at least one brick uh, has to be um 
placed into the building, which essentially is, becomes like a home for uh, bees or pollinators. And it looks exactly like the bee hotels that we've created and uploaded to our Instagram, um, just to help with, yeah, like I say, with all the benefits we've listed in the past um, for the pollinators. So that was something which which I've now actually seen a few places and a few accounts post about, which is an awesome little change, really, because it's no skin off like the construction company's nose, but it's going to make a massive difference mm. um, to yeah, those in Brighton. And I believe, mm. don't quote me on it, I believe they're available for people to use uh, at home as well, John, or often, presumably it'd be easy for them to use it for uh, anything that they wanted to build going forward. It is just a, a brick. What, those sure. bricks or bee hotels? Mm. Those, no, those bricks, not the Heathrow. Oh, the bricks. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you can. There are various things. Uh, again, the, the trouble is, some of this great news doesn't get shared. The building industry, um, obviously, it, it can be seen as the right villain. Um, we sometimes forget that you know, everyone who lives in a flat or a house lives in something that was once built on pristine countryside. Um, so. The, the thing is, if they're going to build more houses, to build them with a bit more environmental savvy. And a, an awful lot of building companies now are employing uh, ways to encourage uh, bats, birds and things like insect life. They're also, uh, they nearly all, well, they definitely all have um, more energy saving uh, capabilities than ever before when I say capabilities obligations uh, they've they also have to have um, surface water recycling as in they no longer put uh, water that falls on the roof isn't allowed to go into the drains it has to be going into like water butts and such like so um, that there are some good sort of environmental moves within the building industry as well. Mm. Okay, let's talk about a few more. I'm going to chuck one in there, then I like this one. Yeah, this go for it. is about the scientists who created the world's whitest paint. Ooh. Now, I saw this uh, randomly because it was a Guinness Book of Records thing. It was the whitest paint in the world. It was fairly recent, this. And I looked into it, and the reason they were doing it was because they had saving energy and fighting climate change in mind because the paint that they've made is so reflective. 98.1% of solar radiation it reflects whilst also emitting infrared heat. So because the paint absorbs less heat from the sun than it emits, the surface that is coated with that paint is cooled below the surrounding temperature without using power which means a new roof with this paint is more powerful than air conditioning for most houses. Um, So it's like such obscure ways a lot of people would never think of. um, Mm. And and they can really benefit as well. So look into that if any listeners are interested, because um, it's really interesting, this whitest white paint. There's lots of things like that as well, which make me feel more positive. Let's chuck a few more things out there. Rob, uh, you've drawn up a list of some things. Yeah, I mean, they're all, you know, like I say, none of them are sort of um, too crazy. But uh, we've we've spoken about at the top a few in the past. Like we said, support local businesses and buy seasonally. We've already touched upon sort of filling up watering cans with unwanted water rather than fresh water. Um, 
got another one which is obviously um, around which John has already covered around reducing your own plastic waste one that I'd quite like to throw in there just because again it's one that my sister has spoken to me about and I just thought was a really good thing and it's not she's not even necessarily done it from environmental benefits but more just from walking more and the benefits we always discuss about that is that she basically works three days on the trot um, and she's now got into the habit at least once a week of leaving her car at work. So then she's forced to walk home in the evening and then walk back to work the following morning, which obviously is, she, I mean, she's like, I had a text from her this evening saying she's walked a different route today and she's hearing like a new bird song and she's loving it. So, you know, it's things like that, which it's obviously going to have an environmental um, benefit as well as all of the benefits we've spoken about in the past of, you know, mental health and mm. just, uh, just getting out there a bit more so yeah yeah, there are a few and i think we'll cover a lot more of these in more detail going forward i'm going to chuck one more out as well because it's a recent thing for me uh rob you were talking one of the things that you mentioned in the build-up was hanging clothes to dry more and tumble drying less well my most recent our most recent purchase i should say is a dehumidifier and Mm. it's changed it's changed our life because i mean we don't tumble dry anyway, we hang clothes, but it rapidly reduces the need to tumble dry for people. It um, dries your clothes so much quicker. And so far, we actually haven't put our heating on since we've got it because there was so much moisture in our air that it was cooling, presumably, I imagine, this isn't, I'm not a scientist, but I presume it was cooling the air. And also it was very hard to heat it up because it was having to heat that moisture up as well. Now there's uh, starting to less. rain inside your flat. Was <laughs> there, mate? There were clouds forming, honestly. Um, and on top of that, something you mentioned already, Rob. I now can reuse that water for things like the plants um, or anything. You know, for yep. if you wanted to use it to um, wash the shower or or something like that, because you would not believe how much we get out of it. I'm actually going to post something on our Instagram, a video of how much we got out of it today. And it wow. is incredible. Is um, it? That's so that's amazing. my little tip. Um, mm. We will cover them. There's so much, but hopefully that gives you a flavor. Basically, you know, think about mm. it, research it. There's lots of things you can do. And they're, they're only small things. That's what we're saying. Um, but they can make a yes. big difference. Yeah. Can I just illustrate your tumble dryer point though? Because I was looking into this ahead of the pod and it, it is astounding. So I read that one load in the tumble dryer uh, uses the same energy as having 225 light bulbs on for one hour, which to wow. me, I was like, Ooh, that is crazy. That's quite a few houses, isn't it? Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Chuck us some more facts, Rob. Uh, yeah, so I've got a couple more. Um, so one relating to the water, and this made me think of you, uh, Jasper, because of your New Year's resolution of taking shorter showers. So well, I just shower with my dehumidifier water now. <laughs> bathe in the dehumidifier. Yeah. Um, yeah, I bathe in the watering can now. So, there are. <laughs> um, so if everyone in the US reduced their showering time by five minutes per day for 30 days, then three trillion gallons of water would be saved, Ooh. which is a mate like remarkable again. And if you just think about all of the energy that's needed to sort of filter and purify uh, heat, and heat water, yeah. you know, oh. it's just crazy amount of energy and five minutes per day like i don't know it seem doesn't seem like that much to me um 
so that's a water one and the only other one i wanted to mention uh kind of relates to the point i just uh, raised about my sister um so this is around driving and the emissions released from cars. So if every UK driver reduced their driving distance by nine miles per week, so not a huge distance really, then the traffic emissions would decrease by 13%, which I don't know, in a way that is maybe just saying if you reduce your driving by, I don't know, 13%, you reduce emissions by 13%. So it might, I don't know if it's obvious or not, but to me, like nine miles across a week doesn't sound like a lot to cut out no. of uh, out of the car really so mm. perfectly um, illustrating our, our point of number one isn't it that small exactly. small changes have a huge impact let's uh, rattle on to number two then which is lessons from the pandemic so a few things that we're going to talk about here and again all of these subjects really could be talked about in a lot more depth and perhaps we will do uh, in an upcoming episode as well but we're going to cover it briefly here uh, give you an introduction to it and then you can either do your own research uh, afterwards or wait for future episodes but a few things you want to talk about John and actually yeah. I think uh, Rob should we start with you because it links to what you've just said about the transport and the reduction um, given the driving distance etc of how much that might be because we saw that a lot during the lockdown didn't we we did so um yeah obviously with the lockdowns and transportation basically came to a halt so there was quite a short term and brief um change in everyone's behavior but i think we've also seen that some behaviors have changed probably for the long term now and certainly with regards to working from home um you know people are going back into the office less like i for instance are only going back in once a week lives going back in twice a week which um you know is a huge difference really for people that are commuting like that like that is massive isn't it that's going to be a huge difference Mm. four days or three days less a week is going to have a huge impact but hit us with some some stats and facts rob because you're let me hit you with some numbers doing well today so so yeah in terms of working from home so i read that um it has been forecast that the new working from home patterns could have a 15 percent reduction on all transport um co2 emissions in the long run like permanently that could be the reduction which obviously is going to have a huge difference so that's the kind of long-term um, projection with regards to sort of the, the changes in, in working patterns. In terms of the the shorter time span of the lockdowns and when transportation was basically ground to a halt, um, I read some interesting statistics. And again, I think, John, you have mentioned this in one of our first pods around, like, mm. it gave you hope seeing, I think it's this very stat, that New York City saw a reduction about, of about 50% of its air pollutants within yeah. the initial lockdown. Yeah. It um, even shocked the uh, scientists because they didn't think that change could manifest itself that dramatically no exactly and that so there's i've got a few statistics around that from just some of the biggest and probably most pollutant cities in the world so like i say new york city had a 50 percent reduction in air pollutants la had a 20 percent decrease china had a 30 percent decrease um 
And something I really like is that I read that in North India, um, in specific cities, and um, that the Himalayas became visible for the first time in decades as a result wow. of improved air quality. Mm. And you kind of mm. see, you know, in some some bit of the huge cities across the world, like the amount of smog in the air, which is just crazy. Yeah. Um, mm. That reduced to, or was so thick to, to, to a point that the Himalayas were no longer visible and that was reversed in the first lockdown. So, yeah, yeah it does just go to show that what you take as i don't know at the surface as just being what it is either being mm. thick smog or the air is just bad in these places that it is all reversible yeah, yeah and it, it, that is exactly well the point today, yeah yeah well done rob the fact that it's reversible surely can make us feel optimistic because mm. we think well actually you know it, india and china have both got or both got stroke had uh, huge atmospheric pollution difficulties uh, and they've also learned that lesson now whether they will be slipping into bad habits or not you know we're, we're not to know at this point but certainly they also you know it's easy to say sort of like you know they are a huge polluter this that and the other but don't forget there's also hundreds of thousands millions probably of people who are just like us trying to improve their bag and trying to improve the environment and they're working out there and they're they're saying things like that wonderful thing we want to see the himalayas and so they will be putting pressure on and you know hopefully they will achieve their goal Mm. Well, you can imagine in that scenario that people in northern India have grown up never seeing the Himalayas. It must have been incredible. And now for the first time, yeah, Yeah. you know, (laughs) lift the fog and there's the Himalayas. So it's, um, you definitely got something to fight for there, you'd think. Definitely. Yeah. Mm. Okay, let's um, talk about the overall public reaction then, which is all worldwide, John. And this relates more to the change of the way that we lived so quickly as well and how that can represent the fact that when changes need to be made when they're necessary be that a pandemic be that yeah uh, climate change we Mm. can do it yeah definitely i mean lockdown was uh the most incredible time and for a lot of people it was obviously harrowing, frightening, and uh, sort of very unsettling. But I think as time sort of went on, there was aspects of it where there was a lot of comfort and uh, sort of reassurance emerging about the social side of their life. Um, you know, for, for want of a better description, that, that air of D-Day spirit that it was called. And whilst people couldn't actually sort of communicate with each other in the same way socially, actually various things started happening whereby people were supporting each other on account of vulnerability and such like. There was, I mean, just in our village, you know, immediately there was a a huge sort of WhatsApp site set up, which is still running to this day, which is, you know, pretty much tailored towards um, sort of just, you know, does anyone need this? Does anyone need that? Does anyone need any help with something? You know, I can offer this, I can offer that. Uh, And that's still going now. A lot of people started to, they, I suppose they were given the gift of time at home 
to kind of stop and think. And that brings in this sort of whole, some of us are so manic and busy with our lives that we're not mindful about what we really need and want. And it was strange because there was like a massive surge in things like gardening. We were suddenly uh, not able to get some produce of various things. And people started to think, hell, I can grow this. Let's have a go. And and they would. Uh, there was things like um, the... Uh, the, the lack of sort of traffic and the lack of air um, air traffic and things like that, where suddenly the world was becoming a slightly less manic place. We didn't have, you know, the, the streets were empty and people were kind of enjoying that. We were allocated this, you know, we're allowed one hour's exercise a day or whatever it was. And suddenly people were like, I'm going to damn well take that. And so people who might never have walked or cycled or anything like that in their usual week, not justifying the time, perhaps, it suddenly became a habit. And it's a habit that has stuck with a lot of people. You know, they're not going back to uh, such a maybe sedentary life, which is entirely wrapped up about their working week. So th- there's there's some great things like that. A lot of people have got much more into looking after their diet and their health because they've had time perhaps to have a go at things like bread making, um, you know, as I say, sort of making uh, meals from The scratch. banana bread phase. Exactly. <laughs> it feels like and, a while uh, ago. Yeah, and enjoying it, but a lot of people because they were locked down, they started to do things together. The you know the the kids were at home and and such like if they had kids, and they were having to sort of start to really work as a bit of a unit, and uh, so so there were a lot of good things that happened in the social the social aspect of it, and I'd suggest that there was they're quite closely linked to a lot of um i don't know what you would call it almost environmental uh sort of security people enjoyed getting out the 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 city parks were suddenly very valued for Mm. the therapeutic value that they offered you know the guys who lived in the city uh people in the countryside went out in huge numbers. I mean, it's, it's perhaps a myth that people in the countryside always access it because a lot of people live there. But, you know, they haven't been in the habit of, you know, using their local footpaths and open spaces and such like. And I think lockdown changed that for an awful lot of people. I think as well, another point with climate change is that it showed just how quickly we can all adapt to something when we absolutely have to. Mm. Um, mm. You know, people just started working from home. And as soon as people started working from home, businesses, companies adapted straight away to something that they'd never done before. And they showed that it was absolutely fine. And so much so that, for example, with Rob, you're going in once a week now. Like, you couldn't fathom going in at the start of your job once a week. But right, now so it is perfectly possible for you to do so and not only is it perfectly possible it's actually a lot more positive probably for your life in terms of work-life balance like john said getting out on your lunch breaks uh, seeing live more um it can't all be positive but um but yeah the point is that um you know when we need to make these changes as a species 
we mm. can do so and we can adapt very, very well. And yeah. sometimes better no than it was why, before. Exactly. We can't use these teachings to adapt climate-wise and actually find that once we've adapted these practices, they benefit us um, mm. more than we'd ever realise and it can be a massive positive. Um, you know, one of those will be working from home and travelling less perhaps and yeah. and that will be directly linked to climate change going forward, I'm sure. Uh, one other aspect of it, before we move on to our third and final point that we wanted to talk about as well, is the vaccine development for me just showed what an incredible uh, kind of well, well how incredible our fellow human beings can be as well in terms of the scientists that came up with something so fast um, mm. you know i think it was within within the year pretty much that it was beginning to be rolled out um, i think i think it was you know was it november or december the first jabs were starting to be rolled out in the uk and yeah. you know, we were locked down in march so that is just incredibly mm. quick and it just shows what brilliant people we had working on them and still have working on them coming up with new things and also it gives me faith that as well as all of us playing our part and who's to say that one of us can't think of something equivalent to this with climate change as well but there are some amazing people doing amazing work on this day in day yeah. out mm to help facilitate this problem um, or to come up with a solution to this problem. It just showed as well that, you know, what can be achieved when we are all focusing on a, on a common goal, Rob. It's so true. Like, um, like you say, I think the announcement of the vaccine came on the day we moved into our current place, which was in November, and that it was going to be rolled out within the next couple of weeks. And like you say, that's what... That's like eight months from the point COVID really like hit us. And it is crazy. Like I have a friend who works in the pharmaceutical industry and we kind of always, all of our friends look to him as like a, you know, what's, what's going to get us out of this in those early months. And he was, and someone mentioned a vaccine and he was like, a vaccine is years away. Like we kind of need to get our head out of that. Um, because that was the press, there was no precedent for getting something done as quickly as that. But also there's probably no precedent for so many people working towards a common goal um mm. you know that you, and when you do break the precedent you obviously do unprecedented things and um yeah i think that's that is definitely like a, a model or a blueprint which can be applied to certainly climate change and every other big challenge facing us yeah because also i mean quite apart from the scientific sort of you know medical advances which was just incredible you would have thought how are they going to organize the bulk of the population in some systematic order to receive that vaccination. And because, I mean, you know, you would have thought it's like herding cats. And yet, I mean, I don't know how many tens of millions have been uh, vaccinated, but, you know, it's it's a huge majority. And uh, you think, well, th that's an organisational feat, which is incredible. So if you can organise, you know, tens of millions of people to do something like that, as you say, for something else that might be an environmental situation, um, it, it gives you hope that tens of millions of people can be sort of, you know, encouraged to do something else. Yeah, I liked what you said, Rob, about um, 
the presidents and setting new presidents as well, it reminds me of, I don't know what the theory is called, but it's kind of like a, a, a theory kind of linked to psychology where, and the example I remember is when Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile and it had never been done before. He did it in 359 um, back in 1954. And it obviously never been done before. And people really didn't believe that it was possible to run a four-minute mile. But as soon as he did that, you know, his record lasted for, um, it was, I think it was just over a month because well, someone else then did it because he had set the president mm-hmm. and, and people were now aware that this was possible to do. And subsequently it's obviously gone on to, to be broken numerous times and it's now at 343. So, you know, the advances that we continue to make, um, sometimes we need to make that advancement to know that it's possible to do and to, to keep advancing, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, I like the, the attitude. I like the sort of metaphor really in that it's, it's seeing things as a, a positive challenge, isn't it? You know, can, can you increase the diversity of life in your back garden? Yeah, that's my challenge. Yeah. <laughs> Rob's got the numbers. I've got the metaphors. We've got everything covered. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on then to our third big reason to feel climate positive, And that is just the fact, John, that there is so much more focus right now today than there's ever been before. Just give us a flavour of what it was like for you growing up. Presumably, you know, was it talked about much? Was, were people aware of climate change? It wasn't talked about at all, okay. really. So how has it progressed from then to now? I mean, even for Rob and I, this is talked about so much more than we were growing up, but you must have seen yeah. such a huge difference. Could you just tell us the scale of or sort of the volume of conversation about this compared to when you were growing up for example yeah so i i suppose the way i could put it most clearly is i don't think at any time in my education system we ever touched on anything environmental in the way that we know it now right that includes up to and including a level uh, geography now today you the 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 kids who are coming into the primary school system know much more about the state of conservation and ecology and the need to you know tread sort of carefully with our resources than sort of you know ever before it's it's literally and i think you know you get things like the forest schools and uh such like they're they're teaching an appreciation of nature and children are growing up much more closely linked to it now and i i think and i hope i really hope that they're not phased by it they're kind of they're quite resilient kids and they're looking at this and yeah we've got a problem here you know we haven't got enough sort of bees at the moment so they automatically take on this positive thing we need to encourage bees so the you know i don't know if you've seen them around you get these little spots where you get things like uh no mow may or something where they don't mow little areas of lawn to encourage plants for the bees and stuff like that and the That's kids will make you, Rob, these... isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so yeah i i think that's the scale of it you know when when mm. i left the education system i had everything that i learned was down to me 
when kids enter the education system now, it's on their curriculum. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice way to put it. Uh, Rob, simply though, everything has a climate angle these days, isn't it? Which is obviously brilliant, but it shows the uh, the focus now more so than ever. It does. And I feel like with every company or business you interact with, they now have to really demonstrate what they're doing for the environment. Like it's no longer good enough to provide a service or sell goods that people want at the detriment to the environment they or they you know every company any every company with any sort of moral compass is now trying to demonstrate to their customers what they're doing and the steps they're taking to either be carbon neutral or carbon negative or what they're doing to offset you know the energy and um anything that they're doing that could damage the environment and i think what you're seeing now in every industry is that there aren't there are companies or businesses that are solely you know their usp is that how green they are or Mm. or what they're doing to sort of rectify the state of the planet and that's going to be massive in all industries i think and people are more and more gravitating towards those businesses absolutely yeah it's almost uh, to a point where you know a lot of companies will not survive if they're not uh if they don't have the appropriate green credentials because people have it so closely to their hearts these days and they look for it and mm. I think that we're seeing, you know, even that goes from massive corporations right down to startups as well. A lot of them will have a focus on some area of the environmental issues that we face today. Uh, also, just in pop culture as well, like we we watched um, Don't Look Up. I don't know if either of you have seen it on Netflix. Yeah, the Netflix with Leo. And, yeah. Yeah. No, I really Leo's obviously a, a big climate activist and... Um, well, it, I mean, I, I, I'm going to talk about metaphors again, but it is one big metaphor. If you haven't seen it, it won't ruin it. It's one big metaphor for the climate crisis um, based around an asteroid, basically, or, or a comet. No, not that. Yeah, one of the two. Um, I paid close attention. But, um, no, no spoilers. It is, yeah, um, no spoilers, but it is a very good film. Um, but the point is, you know... It, even that has a very strong climate message and we're seeing it everywhere we turn uh, these days. And it's just necessary for every mm. industry, it seems, to have uh, a positive impact on the climate, yeah. which is brilliant. Um, yeah. And I think that leads us nicely on as well to to COP26 and how much coverage that got compared. I mean, I'll be honest, I hadn't heard of cop 1 to 25 um Mm. so cop 26 seemed bigger than ever this year which was brilliant because a lot more people engaged with it and uh john if you want to say anything about that and then perhaps we'll uh, kind of bring this podcast to a close by taking a quote from cop 26 from a man that we mentioned earlier as well yeah yeah uh so i mean tonight we've been discussing the things that we can all do, you know, millions of us that will make a huge difference both to the environment and to the way we feel about helping the environment. And that, that I think is massively important. The, the, uh, the whole, uh, cop, uh, sort of like assembly was really, it's really about bringing together what you might call the superpowers, the real influencers, um, and, trying to map out it's almost trying to agree targets for improvement now 
a, a lot of countries, especially what you might call developing countries, they would say with some legitimacy they can't afford to go green just like that in the same way that some of the other superpowers can. Um, so a lot of their sort of conversations are very, very um, detailed and actually rather dull about uh, how they reduce their impact on the environment. Of course, there's always countries that you think they could do so much more. But the point is they're talking they're making strategies, they're making aims, and hopefully we, the populace, will keep the pressure on that they fulfil their promises. Uh, and, you know, the, the wonderful thing that they did for this one, and I would suggest quite brave, was to be to draft in Sir David Attenborough, uh, because when he's been there, seen it, worn the T-shirt, you know, he's he's been at the cutting edge of uh, sort of wildlife and conservation. I, I read my first sort of what you might call grown-up book was by David Attenborough called Zoo Quest to Guinea. And um, the world was a terribly different place in the 50s. You know, I mean, some of the stuff that David Attenborough was kind of doing there would be considered not very green now because it was in the quest for knowledge and we didn't have a lot of the technologies and recording systems and such like that we had now. He's been able to move with the times and what I love about his approach is that he's not all about, you know, bawling people out for sort of the wrong that's been done. He's about looking... He's about sort of representing this is what we've got this this is how incredible the natural world is buy into this you know really love it because it's fantastic and if you want to keep it going you might need to make a few changes so he's trying to tempt you in for your own good so that you can get the both the best out of nature and uh yeah, part of his uh, speech, and the whole speech is on things like YouTube and such like. Uh, and the YouTube. The YouTube. The YouTube. Uh, <laughs> so uh, he he started off, uh, you know, giving a, a, a rundown of the various needs that we need to sort of address. Uh and what I, I I love about him, I mean, he's well into his 90s now, but he's he's kind of saying that the people that have done least to damage uh, the the um, planet are the ones who stand to suffer the most if we don't, you know, get our act together. And I thought it's a very succinct way of doing it. Say, like, come on, that, that, that's how the sort of young people out really. Uh, but his quote was. If working apart, we are a force powerful enough to destabilise the planet, then surely working together, we are powerful enough to save it. Mm, nice. That was like yeah. the highlight for me of the whole event. Like that, yes. was, that just yeah. went viral, didn't it? On all platforms, like that yeah. quote. And it kind of just perfectly summed up like, well, just summed up what we're trying to send in this, in this podcast, I guess. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah, brilliant way mm. of putting it. My concern is like as much as anything else like human happiness i i i can't abide thinking that sort of things that are, are happening that 
are sort of like that we feel they're out of our control and really upsetting. So I, th- I think what I wanted to sort of say that, yes, we could consider we are in trouble, but there are millions of ways that we can aid conservation. And what we need to do is we need to take stock and we need to make a plan so that we keep absolutely loving life, uh, but take up some positive actions rather than bleat about the sort of negative issues. Uh, and, you know, it's... As, as with, I know we've said this before on the podcast, but I think it reigns true. You know, concerning yourself about sort of these sort of green issues can be really emotionally challenging. And, you know, if, if people find this is the case for them, then do reach out, you know, reach out, make sure you're looking after your own sort of, you know, mental health and uh, get help. And if, if you're one of those fortunate people who are quite optimistic about things and feel that you don't need the help, then offer it to other people, you know, try and try and bring them on board and, uh, and create a positive way. Hmm. Well, there we go. Lovely. Thank you very much for that, John. Ending with the, the two most famous <laughs> naturalists <laughs> of our time. <laughs> Sir David Attenborough and Father Nature himself. Um, Soon to be Sir John Taylor, I'm sure. Sir Father Nature, <laughs> yeah. Sir, arise. Sir, Sir Father. Father. <laughs> uh, Rob, you feeling more positive? I am. I've really enjoyed Good. that. I think it's been a great episode. And um, no, I hope that those that are listening sort of take something from it as well. Because... Um, yeah, I think there's a lot to be positive about and it's just need to kind of look at ourselves and have a think about the small things we can make, you know, the small changes we can make so that it will have a huge effect. Absolutely. John, feeling positive? Yeah, really positive. I mean, I just think, you know, if if we can tempt people to enjoy the countryside, you know, enjoy their life and uh, live sort of like sensitively with nature, then it's a job well done. Perfect. Right. Well, that was our three big reasons to feel climate positive. Uh, Gents, thank you very much for that. Uh, Very enjoyable. And uh, we hope that you guys listening uh, learned plenty from it, gave you some good ideas. As ever, please get in touch with anything um, that you want to uh, chat to us about on our Instagram page at FatherNatureHQ or by email, FatherNatureHQ at gmail.com. Uh, just let us know what you're doing, what changes you're making, or any suggestions that you've got that we can share with our listeners as well. I'm off to uh, have a bath with my dehumidifier water, and uh, <laughs> I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. Lovely stuff. Cool. See you then. Thanks, Take care. Guys. Cheers. 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 Cheers.